My name is Annie Lobert, and I'm a champion survivor of trafficking to tell you that God can heal you from any hurt that's ever happened to you. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you too. Hi friends, and welcome to Annie's Pink Chair, where we invite presence, inspire purpose, and ignite passion in the hearts of people to have God's love put in their heart throughout the world. And I am just over the moon excited because I have a very special friend in the audience today that has been through so much and has such a unique story of overcoming a horrific tragedy and even lengthy jail time. And this person looks so put together, you wouldn't even guess they've been through what they've been through. My friend's name is Becca Charleston. And she is a nationally respected leader and a dynamic public speaker whose story of survival, triumph, and determination has been featured on communities across the United States and at the national level by numerous media outlets, including Deadline Crimes, Daystar, Dallas Morning News, NPR, USA Today, and the New York Post. And I'm sure there's more there that she's not even listing, because that's a lot. After enduring a decade of abuse and exploitation, she built a career dedicated to the empowerment of survivors and focused on community collaboration at all levels. In 2013, she launched Becca Speaks Out to provide customized training and consulty services to law enforcement, service providers, and community leaders alike. Since then, she has earned degrees in criminal justice and criminology, filed a federal lawsuit against the state of Nevada woo, over the legalized prostitution industry. You guys, listen to this, okay? And worked with senators to advocate for the Trafficking Survivors Relief Act, which provides victims the opportunity to vacate or expunge federal convictions resulting from their victimization. Yay, Becca. This is amazing. I, I just, you know what? We couldn't even begin to, you know, read about what you've done so far because you seem so young. It's been a crazy, like, crazy life. <laughs> I know, but you don't even, okay, you're not a grandma. You're not like a great granny or whatever, mm -hmm. but you definitely are a woman that has been through something mm -hmm. and you don't look your age. I'm not going to ask how old you are, <laughs> but we left off. And by the way, we have to remind people if they have not seen part one, they need to go back right now and rewatch that. Go back. Stop the video. Stop the podcast. Go back. Because you got to hear what happened to her before this. Because we're at this really juicy part of the story where obviously you had, you can talk about your child a little bit and how it led up to where you were at the moment in that parking lot with this brand new boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Well, I was, yeah, being trafficked for a couple months on the, on the track, right? Or Blade, known area of prostitution in Dallas, Texas. And I hated it. I felt disgusting. I fantasized about suicide every day. And... Uh, like I said, we weren't you afraid? Oh yeah, I was definitely afraid of afraid if I did it, anything different from what they told me to do, I would get in trouble. I had to shower last, I had to eat last, I had to do everything last because I was the last one to come around, and I I just wanted to get away. And so I met this guy in a strip club parking lot that was there picking up one of the other one of his other victims, such I had no clue. 
And I thought maybe this guy would be the romantic partner I'd been longing to have. And he was 20 years older than me from California. As a small town Texas girl, he fascinated me. 20 years older. I mean, Mm -hmm. the guys, think about this. He's 20 years old. And what, how old were you when he was 20? 17. You you were just being born. Yeah. I'm just saying like, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, can you babysit my little girl? I'm 21 and she's one years old. Like that's pretty sick. Mm -hmm. If you really think about it. Very much. Homeboy's 20 years older than you. Mm -hmm. And he's hitting on you. Yep. And obviously he knows you're working there. Mm Mm-hmm. So what did he say to you? Oh, meet my doggies. Or how did you guys hook up? Well, he told me to get out of the car and that he wanted to see what I was working with. So I went around to the trunk of the car where he was standing because there was two what other. What do you mean by what are you working with? He wanted to see kind of my body. He obviously knew I was out there being sold as a prostitute, right, at 17 on the track. So he, he knew what was going on. And um, he got me away from the other two girls, though, and slipped me his phone number and told me that I was beautiful and for me not to give his phone number to the other two girls. And then he didn't buy me, which that's what I was kind of expecting is that he was going to be a sex buyer. Um, and he made me kind of feel special in that moment. And I wanted to get away from those two other girls. They were really mean. They, yeah, there was nothing nice about them at all. So they were with the other pimp you were with. Right. So those were your wife-in-laws. One of them was, yeah. yeah. And then that, another one would live there with, in the same apartment with her a pimp. Wow. And, and how does it feel to be like second place, third mm-hmm. place? Like, how does someone have a relationship like that? Yeah. The poly relationship where you're mm-hmm. seeing several people, but there's only one man in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And he's the king, right? Right. Typically. Yeah. Especially in trafficking situations, for sure. I, I just, I, I still can't believe I went through it. I mean, you think about I, cults, I, like it happens in cults. I like, mean, there's people choose polyamorous relationships. Like you said, um, you know, it was kind of this idea that this family team, four heads are better than one, you know, and that we can all reach our goals faster. You know, if, oh, if that's we allow a great line, Oh, we can reach our goals faster. Right. If we all put four brains together mm-hmm. and we put our money together. Yeah. We can all graduate together mm-hmm. and build a mansion. And what else were they telling you? Right. The, all the <laughs> dream, all the dreams that were sold for Rolls us. Rolls Royces. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mine was this. I haven't really talked about this before. I wanted a jewelry store. Mm-hmm. Uh, precious gems. Still do, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, I'm down with that. Let's do mm-hmm. it. Like, I know how to get you there. That was like my, one of yeah. my goals, girl. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what they do. You know, they, they give you these uh, these dreams, right? And, oh, well, you could be a business owner. Why would you want to work for somebody else? And, well, in order to start that business, we need to get some capital, right? And this is what you can do to contribute, right, to get that capital. And then someday we'll make your dreams come true later. But this is what I need you to do now. Cause this is my dream yeah. and this is my game. And mm-hmm. so he said, what are we working with? And then he mm-hmm. slipped you his number. And then what happened next? So I started sneaking around to pay phones. I didn't even have a cell phone back then. This is, you know, Did you have a pager? to 1999. Yeah. I, yeah. Definitely had some pagers. Beep, 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 beep. Remember pagers? <laughs> yeah. Dang, my pager's going off. It's on vibrate. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And he, like I said, he was 20 years older. So he was from California. He seemed, um, sometimes when I would call him, a woman would answer his phone and he told me it was a secretary, which here I am 17 years old, being starved, eating out of gas stations each day. And here, this guy has a secretary and this bright, shiny red pickup truck. And obviously he's doing something right. Hold up. He had a pickup truck, Mm -hmm. a bright red pickup. What? Yep. Pimps don't drive bright red pickup trucks. Well, he was living in Texas. Yeah. Cookie boy. (laughs) I wanted to blend in. Yeah. Wow. What a slick man. Mm -hmm. Not stupid at all. Not at all. So secretary starts answering the phone. You're like, Mm -hmm. thinking maybe she is the secretary. Yeah. I mean, I had no context. You know, Jimmy, Jimmy's girl. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I had no clue that I was just running from one situation to an even worse situation. Yeah. Did you finally, um, obviously you got away from the other, Mm -hmm. the other, I was going to call him dummy. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Human being that's breaking the law, Mm -hmm. (laughs) trafficker. How did you sneak away from him? So there was an opportunity. So I knew that um, this second trafficker, he told me that if I could get away, that he would help me get on my feet. And so there was an afternoon that I had an opportunity. Nobody else was there. And so I grabbed a trash bag and filled it with all the little clothes that I'd stolen by that point. That was all I had to my name and ran to the Denny's on the corner of the freeway and, and called this second guy, you know, this business owner right, from right, California right. to come pick me up. And he did. Yeah. And so what did he pick you up in? That bright, shiny red pickup truck. <laughs> and you're like, where are we going now? Yeah. Did he take you to a hotel? Or? Uh, he took me to the movies, actually. He wouldn't ask me if I wanted to go to the movies, which I was like, here I am. Sure. You know, being tra- being trafficked on the street and eating at a gas station. It's like, sure, I want to go to a movie. <laughs> so, um, you know, instead of watching the movie, he just sat on the bench, you know, by the bathrooms inside the theater and talked to me for hours about. So you guys never went in the movie? No, no, he, he, he blew this money. You know, he was, I was very impressed, you know, my 17 year old little brain that, you know, here I was hardly eating and he was blowing money just to talk to me, you know, and that felt really good. And he just sat on the bench Mm -hmm. and that makes sense because movie theaters have those long hallways and it's quiet in there. Mm -hmm. No one's really talking. They're coming out laughing or they're crying. Movie was great. Whatever. Good, bad. And what was he telling you? He was asking me all about my family and, you know, where I was from and kind of trying to find out what my dreams were. And, you know, he really seemed like he cared. You yeah, know, like he offered that instant acceptance yeah. and love. Yeah. He's like giving you all this attention. Doesn't mm-hmm. that feel great? Mm-hmm. Like as a young girl. I mean, even now when someone gives us attention, it really feels good. Right. Like I mean, who as can human deny? Beings, as human beings, we're, we're wired for connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's like everyone wants to be loved. Mm-hmm. So nobody can blame you for that, Becca, for right. this man. Like, hey, mm-hmm. you're you're so beautiful. Like, what are your dreams? What did you tell him? Did you have a dream? I don't remember what I told him my dreams were. I remember after telling him the kind of problems that I had with my family and running away and stuff like that. He would, I remember him saying like, Oh, your family must've been horrible. You know, how could they, how could they treat you like that? You're a good kid. You must come from a terrible family. You know, family isn't blood. Family is who you choose to be around. And that was the beginning of isolation. You know, I wouldn't speak to my family for years from that point. And that was that idea that somehow this family I'm choosing was going to be the family that I needed when in reality it never, never was. 
never turned out that way. Wow. So then after you guys left the theater, how did you know what the next step was with this man? I mean, I was at his whim, essentially, you know, I mean, whatever he suggested, I was going to go along with it because I didn't have anywhere else to go. Yeah, I, I was contemplating committing to a suicide or giving this guy a try. And so I very much wanted this guy to work out, you know, because I felt like suicide was my only other option. And, and so we went to a hotel the first night and he had sex with me. And then we got up the next day and he took me to uh, almost 5,000 square foot home in a neighborhood and asked me if I wanted to move in with him. And of course, my eyes were just like yours, you know, huge, like, wow, I'd never really been in homes like that. And yeah, of course, I want to move into this nice, fancy home. I want to get off the street and stop eating out of gas stations. And, um, you know, in the beginning, it was great. You know, he he devoted a lot of time and attention to me and he wanted me to stop drinking, stop smoking, to stop using drugs and start working out and eating healthier foods and all these things that felt like like a savior. He really loved me. Yeah. Like I knew those things were bad. And but he was the only one in my life at that point that was investing into me and seemed like he wanted me to become a better person in reality you it know, totally makes sense looking back yeah you can see like oh you're just making me the most profitable you could like, sure but, but it felt I, like love totally I, I mean i now here's my other question you started working out eating right quitting the drugs mm-hmm. but who else is living in that house yeah, it was two other women that had already been with him 10 years that I would come to know as my sisters is what he forced us to call each other, that we weren't wife-in-laws, which wow. is the typical verbiage in the game. He wanted us to be sisters, that we were really this idea of family. And, um, yeah, they were also being trafficked by him, you know, and had been for a really long time. But, you know, we we did become sisters. You know, they were the ones that when he would knock you out, you know, we would try to, when he would, oh, girl, he's in the mood today. Be careful. You better watch your P's and Q's. Or, you know, trying to have each other's backs to avoid beatings and things like that. Um, and you guys ended up in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And so I, I met your, I met your bottom. Yeah. They call her the bottom girl. Mm-hmm. I was friends with her, which is so bizarre. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a beautiful I feel like ending to the story of, yeah. guess what? Mm-hmm. You're a champion now. Yeah. Like, what ended all that relationship? Man, I remember... Tell us what happened. Go I ahead. I remember him always telling me I'd be broke, fat, and ugly, and no one would ever love me, and I could never be in a normal relationship, and all that fear and shame kept me trapped for so long. But now, today, I can look back and, and realize that everything that the enemy tried to take from me, you know, that God has restored it tenfold, you know, and now I fly across the country and train law enforcement, all these things that I thought I would lose by leaving the life. You know, I thought, you know, here I had a million dollars of debt in my name, been arrested 10 times, had a federal felony, you know, served 13 months in prison. Yeah. And I thought, how could I ever do anything different? Why did you serve that time? Because I wouldn't tell on him. I wanted you, you did time for him basically. Oh, definitely. This was his charge. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, he wound up getting time as well, but they arrested me first and they thought that they could threaten me into telling on him. But unfortunately, when law enforcement treats us like criminals and all they do is come in with threats, then they all they do is make our traffickers the truth tellers because he told me you were going to threaten me. And as long as I keep my mouth shut, he said was true. Yep. And he paid for my attorney while I was locked up in prison, which I saw for the entire 13 months. I met with my attorney for less than five minutes. 
I never even heard a, a deal that would have been offered. I was just told to take the charge, take the charge, and then we'd all get out and it would be okay. <laughs> so what happened when you got out? It wasn't okay. <laughs> when I got out, I you know, still went back to um, my second trafficker. It wasn't until about a year and a half later in 2009 that I finally had the courage to, to run and hide. And he had turned himself in in the summer of 2009 to serve 24 months on the same oh, indictment. Wow. So they gave him a longer sentence because they knew he was the ringleader. They just couldn't prove it because none of us victims would talk. So you basically got with him in like 1998 Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I just missed meeting you. I know. I just missed it. The last day I worked at the escort service was May 18th, 1998. Wow. Mm-hmm. The last day, escort service anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I... I'm glad I didn't meet you, mm. but at the same time, sad I didn't meet you. Yeah. So I wonder if we would have been friends. Yeah, I feel like we would have. It's crazy yeah. to... I don't want to start crying. To connect with people, because it's so rare. Like, we lose <laughs> so much of our lives that we never know if other people get out and they're okay. And, yeah. I'm really glad that you made it. Me too. You too, friend. There's not a lot of people that make Yeah. I don't even know what the stats are, but... There's an old stat that people repeat over and over that's famous Mm -hmm. that we hear about, and that's the stat of 1% get out. Mm. I don't believe that that's the stat anymore because of people like you. Mm. Mm -hmm. And you. Yeah, and other survivors that are standing up for us now. Yeah. And we're we're making a line in the sand saying, that's Mm. it. Mm -hmm. Tell me the Jesus story. Oh, man. I um, (laughs) moved back home. I was 30 years old. Um, finally, I actually wound up getting pregnant. I was in a kind of toxic relationship here in Las Vegas and got pregnant. And that was kind of the ultimate wake up call for me that I was willing to have compassion for this little tiny bean that was growing inside my belly that I, tiny bean. <laughs> that I never could have for myself. You know, I thought yeah. I, I got what I deserved and made bad choices, but I knew that my babies, I didn't want a day of my baby's future to look anything like my past. So I moved back home. January 7th of 2012 and started over from not even from scratch, from way less than scratch. When you think about the debt, the criminal record, right? All oh. those things, no job experience. Like you're in a deep hole, like yeah, all the way down. And um, I went to church though, about two hours after I um, got to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I'm so excited I did, you know, because I, I just felt, felt burdened to pray for the first time in a long time. And Like I said in the first episode, you know, I didn't know a Jesus that was passionately pursuing me. I knew an angry, vindictive God that didn't want to hear from me. And so when I went to church, it was to this church that taught me that perspective that no, like God's not angry. Like he's literally just holding his hand outstretched to me and waiting for me to look at him, you know, and he loves me through all the mess. He loves me through all the mistakes like all those things that he, he never stopped wanting a relationship with me. And so that really is what, that's how I came out from the fire, not smelling like smoke is because wow. of his grace. <laughs> wow. It was the only way that I've been able to be resilient and um, change my life. I feel like it was believing in something bigger than myself. Right. And finally seeing that there's truth to the love yeah. that God does love us mm-hmm. and forgives us and the whole time that you were being trafficked and abused, that he was there. Yep. He was just waiting mm-hmm. for you to turn your face towards him mm-hmm. and being brave enough to 
Yeah. And it's sad that sometimes we have to wait. Can you do me a big favor? Mm -hmm. Can you look at your camera? Mm -hmm. And I know someone's watching mm -hmm. or listening right now that needs to hear what you need to say to them mm -hmm. if they're stuck right now. Yeah. Whether it's in a domestic violence relationship or a trafficking situation. What what would you say to them? I mean, I'd start by saying you're you're worth so much more that nobody deserves to be hurt or abused or exploited. And I know you probably have been made to feel like you made bad choices and that you that this is kind of your lot in life. But as someone that's been through it all and is now out on the other side, I, I can finally have compassion for myself and realize like I wouldn't have wished those things on my worst enemy. You know, that I never chose to get beat up or exploited or sold on the track. And so I just encourage you to find the strength to be vulnerable with somebody that's safe and allow somebody to, to help you um, get out of that situation because there, there's, there's so many things that are worth it on the other side. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, let's, let's brag about what you're doing now. Yeah, I'm super excited about what I'm doing today. Um, I actually launched a law center called the Charleston Law Center. Our headquarters is in Reno, Nevada, but we provide pro bono legal services to survivors of sexual and domestic violence all across the state. So since we've launched, we've had, I want to say more than 60 clients at this wow. point um, of people that needed a variety of different legal services, whether it be child custody, immigration, clearing their records, getting debt out of their name that an abuser put in their name. Right. So there's a lot of different ways that we could help. And um, we have clients for you, don't worry. Oh, I yeah. got some stacked for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so crazy because it's, it's very specialized. Mm -hmm. It's for women that have been abused. Right. And of course, trafficking victims as well. That's the only clients that we want. Yeah. Um, and we want to provide the best trauma-informed, you know, victim-centered ser legal services right. we can. Because you've been there and done that. You already know. Yep. You know what not to say as okay. a lawyer. And not that, you know, you're going to be like, hey, you did it. I mean... Those, some of these words trigger us, right? Oh, even the criminal justice process is very triggering because yeah. you're so out of control. You know, these are systems and things that have hurt you before in the past. And, you know, um, it, it's going through the legal service system is very triggering and hard. Yeah. Especially when you're being told by your abuser, it's, it's yeah. them. They're the enemy. They hate you. They want to bring you down. Mm -hmm. You're the real star here. You're not yeah. breaking the law. They're just, you, they're just got the, you know, the money in the wrong hand or they're the real pimps of this world. They're pimping us by this, by mm -hmm. taxing and da, da. I mean, that's what they make yep. you believe. Yep. Oh, they're just jealous of you. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but you're also in Las Vegas now. Uh -huh. Talk about that. Yeah. So um, I've been trying to, to network. So we also have an office here in Las Vegas. So we are able to serve survivors that have charges no matter where they are in the rules or in the big cities in Nevada. And then what else? You and got then, more. Yeah. I still have um, Becca Speaks Out as my own training and consultancy business, like you mentioned. So I am travel across the country training law enforcement. I'll actually be in Buffalo, New York next week running operations with oh, Homeland wow. Security. And being able to be in the room when women are, you know, being encountered right. and offer them services and a way out instead of a criminal record. Right, right. Now, besides that, you're also part of, with me, mm -hmm. <laughs> the Las Vegas Task Force for Human Trafficking. Yeah. And 
what are we doing? Becca? Yeah. yeah, we're the co-chairs of the Survivor Advisory Committee and just trying to make people understand from a survivor's perspective, we're the lived experience experts, you know, and we deserve a seat at the table. We sure do. And, and your seat is very valid mm-hmm. and your voice and your experience, it just brings so much hope. Mm-hmm. And I just want to commend you and congratulate you. And if I could give you a award, I would mm-hmm. for the hard work you've done. Thank you. You've friend. done your time, girl, and with, no pun intended, <laughs> but you've you've given your life to this cause. And it's mm-hmm. very, very encouraging. Thank you. And I thank you for mm-hmm. coming on the show today. And I want you to come back on, of course, and Definitely. give us more updates. And I am so thankful that you're alive and that you are you know, a sister. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that in a weird way, like mm-hmm. a sit, like a wife a lot or like yeah. sister wise. <laughs> no, you're a sister in Christ with me and yeah. And us. And I'm so grateful for your, just your contribution. So we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Mm-hmm. You too, Annie. Thank you so, for all you do. Thank you. No, mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> and thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. I want to encourage you, if you did not see part one, to please go back and of course, reach out to Becca. It's survivor-led. We need to support survivor-led initiatives and services. We need you, everyone. All you have to do is go to Becca Speaks Out. That's it. Type it in real easy on your phone. Charleston Law Center, Reno and Las Vegas. Reach out to her. Even if you're out of state, she'll be able to direct you to the right people to help you with your situation and your problem. Thank you so much today for being part of Annie's Pink Chair. And my name is Anna LaBert, and we'll see you next time. Hi, my name is Anna LaBert, and right now we're standing at the Destiny House, and this is a place where ladies can come and heal from the ravages of sex trafficking and trauma, complex trauma that is very common with each survivor that gets out of trafficking. We just love this property because it's a place of peace. A lot of people say to me, Annie, you know, trafficking really doesn't affect me. I don't know why you're even doing this. Well, listen, it's in your own backyard. It's in Las Vegas, but it's also in Los Angeles. It's also in Dallas. It's also in Chicago. It's also in Minneapolis. It's also in New York. It's in Florida. It's in every state in our country. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a place where ladies can come and get the healing that they truly need. And we are survivor-led, and it's so important that you join us in this fight. This is something you can become a monthly partner with. We are survivor-led, and because of that, we don't have a lot of funds. We need your help. We need your partnership. People say, well, I want to be involved. I want to volunteer. I want to do this. I want to do that. Well, yes, we'd love for you to volunteer, but you know what we need more? We need partners like you to step up and stand with our ladies and say, I believe in your now. I believe in your healing and your future. And here's my $20 a month. Here's my $50 a month. Here's my $500 a month to go towards your healing, to go towards your trauma therapy, to go towards your cooking classes, to go towards your job readiness classes, to go towards your college. This is what I want to give as a gift to these wonderful human beings that are being restored from the horrible ravages of trafficking. We really need your support. We can use your support. Please join us in this fight. It doesn't take that much. You can give it for coffee for the day. You can give up that country ride you're gonna take with your friends or, or that weekend vacation. Give us a support because we are in need of monthly donors just like you. And by you giving a dollar or more or a thousand dollars from a dollar to 10,000, whatever that looks like, 
You are going to be changing someone's lives and our lives that we work with are precious. Please join us today and go to pinkchair.org, click on donate, join us in the fight against sex trafficking. My friends, this is my book, Fallen Out of the Sex Industry and Into the Arms of the Savior. And this is the story of me being turned into a sex trafficking slave in Minneapolis, Hawaii, and Las Vegas, my final destination. This teaches you about trafficking and how it can happen in your own backyard. You think it can't happen to you? Think it can't happen to your girlfriend or your child, your granddaughter, your niece, even your nephew? It can, my friends. If you're interested in this, this it's going to help you learn about this, but it's also going to give you a call to the charge. You can simply go to pinkchair.org, click on the book to purchase it. You can help us help others get out of trafficking. Thank you so much.